Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prog Watch. Music that tells a story. With your friend and host... Big Tony Rousick, a.k.a. Prog Squatch. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Prog Watch, my friends. Big Tony here, and this week I have another great program lined up for you. It's another interview and artist feature centered on none other than Colin Edwin. Colin is, of course, probably best known as the bassist for Porcupine Tree from 1993 to 2011, but he has been involved in a great many bands and projects over the years, some of which I will touch on today. Before I begin, thanks again to all my supporters on Patreon.com who helped me to continue to produce this program. I've got a lot of interview and music scheduled for this week, so I'll get things rolling without further ado. Before we hear from Colin about his early history, let's do a porcupine tree tune which showcases his playing. This is Slave Called Shiver, from the album Stupid Dream.
Once again, that was Slave Called Shiver from Porcupine Tree's 1999 release, Stupid Dream. Now let's hear some of my chat with Colin Edwin. So can I uh, first just say it's a real pleasure and an honor to have you on my program. Oh, no worries. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Can we speak a little about your early history? Uh, You are from Australia and, uh, you know, how did you get into music? How'd you end up in the UK, you know? Uh, well, the the truth is my parents did it the wrong way around. So they emigrated and then they decided to go back to England. Okay. <laughs> so I was born while they lived in, in Australia. And I have older siblings who were born in England and went to school in Australia and then came back to England. But I did it the other way around. I, I'd left. I was very young when I left Australia. So I'm lucky that I have dual nationality by virtue of the fact that I was born there, but um, really I've spent most of my life in England. Most of your life, mm-hmm. So uh, I'm quite like, I'm fortunate. I mean, my sister still lives in Australia, so I, I try and go when I can. I really like the place, and, and it's certainly part of my makeup. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I've lived uh, basically North London for a long time. Okay, so uh, as far as your musical upbringing did you uh grow up in a musical family or did you study music in school what what gave you the bug well i never studied formally i i used to be i'm the youngest in my family so my older siblings all played instruments my brother played classical guitar to a really high standard um i've got twin sisters one played the violin and the other played the piano and my father was into jazz guitar he played jazz guitar so I used to hear all kinds of music uh, growing up, you know, in the house. I could walk from one room to another and hear something <laughs> completely mm-hmm. different. And my sisters were into, you know, they were into the sort of 70s era music, everything from Chic to the Stranglers to the Police, uh, you know, and then they got into disco music in a big way. And then my older brother would be listening to Mozart or some guitar record you know complex classical guitar piece and then hmm. i'd go downstairs and my father would be listening to oscar peterson okay <laughs> or you know jim hall so I, I was kind of exposed to pretty much everything apart from rock music really in a big way and then i kind of discovered that just through my friends and and eventually i, I was spending so long listening to music that i felt i really wanted to get involved in doing it and mm-hmm. i had i had unlike my sisters and my brother i was never encouraged particularly to play an instrument so i think when i said to my dad you know i want to learn the bass uh i think he just kind of laughed at me first (laughs) (laughs) and he didn't believe it because i'd spent so long you know avoiding any kind of musical instrument and then uh, he uh reluctantly very reluctantly bought me a secondhand um very cheap bass guitar Mm -hmm. And the amazing part of the story is that within a couple of weeks, I met a really fantastic bass player who is a top London, he was a top London session musician. And he more or less said to me, you know, you want to come in my house, I'll show you a couple of things. And, you know, and he basically more responsible than anyone else for, for teaching me anything in a really informal way. So I learned a lot of the skills that you need, you know, to to work as a musician. I learned how to read music. I learned how to follow chord charts. I learned all the sort of formal stuff as well, but in a really in in a really kind of fun way, you know. And I probably, if I hadn't have met him, I wouldn't have thought of playing music as any sort of serious business at all. I'd never have seen it as a choice because you just don't 
you don't see it like that unless you meet someone who's doing it or unless you know someone who's doing it. So that kind of gave me uh, the, the impetus initially, really. That's great. Well, I think the world is glad that you got the impetus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're, you seem very jazz, uh, influenced by jazz. You mentioned your dad was into jazz. Um, so were there particular jazz artists that uh, you would say influenced your style of playing? Um, I definitely studied um, jazz. I mean, I, I, I consider myself jazz with a small J, you know, I mean, it's a big field, but I really liked, um, I got into learning partially because my, it's the one thing that my father understood and, and he encouraged me to, to work on, um, you know, playing what they call standard tunes, you know, the sort of the, the great American songbook type stuff. Mm. So I, I was working on that alongside um, kind of playing in a rock band and you know other stuff but the interesting thing is I think it actually gave me I mean I still like to play it occasionally it's something that really gave me um, a lot of confidence because you really have to study you have to know your way around your instrument to to uh, to play jazz you know from a technical standpoint you, it's it's sort of like a, a very good grounding for skill because you, you're having to make decisions in the moment you're having to react in the moment. You're playing a form that usually everybody understands and there's a definite sense to it. But it's like, I liken it to playing a game of football. You know, you have rules, but the game can go either way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of rock music is very composed and very set and you don't change it. Um, but, you know, the early rock music particularly and a lot of the classic rock, I mean, you think of Deep Purple, it's a sort of semi-improvised thing. They're not mm -hmm. playing the same. You listen to the live albums of Deep Purple and they jam on things for sort of 10 minutes, you know. Right. So it's that sort of that kind of, I understood that approach uh, a lot more because of having having studied jazz and having played standards and, and blues and stuff. And one of my first sort of working gigs that enabled me to never never have a day job <laughs> was just playing in a in a blues band i played in a blues band for a couple of years and they were really busy so we were out three or four nights you know and a week and then doing festivals and stuff and playing you know a lot of blues and a lot of hendrix covers and stuff like that but that gave me a really good grounding in, in having that kind of fluid approach so i don't really consider myself a jazz musician and it's been an influence more in a technical sense but i do listen to a lot of you know miles davis and uh, Jim Hall, I love Jim Hall. I love a lot of the ECM catalog. Uh, Esborn Svensson Trio, from about sadly he's no longer with us. But if you know that's fantastic piano trio from Sweden, um, mm. and they had like a sort of Radiohead approach to playing jazz, you know. So there's a lot of crossover, I think. Very interesting. So um, you joined Porcupine Tree in 1993 and remained with the band until the dissolution. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what it was like working with Mr. Stephen Wilson? Yeah, well, initially, um, it was something I didn't take particularly seriously. I just knew Steve, and he asked me to be in the band and because he was having to do it live. And I guess mm -hmm. he asked me because he knew, based on some of the music I liked, that I'd be a good fit. So I hadn't met Richard Barbieri or Chris Maitland until we all got together and started rehearsing for what turned out to be the first gig. And I think the actual, really, the reason was Stephen had been offered a, a Radio 1 session. 
um, which was like a, a live in the studio thing with a band. But of course, he sure. didn't have a band. He'd done the first album on his own. So he was involved with this small label that put out the first record. And I'd played, I think, on the second, what became the second album. But I mean, it was just a session I did around his house one day. And then a year later, it came out on a CD. Everything moved very slowly. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it was a year after that that he came around to see me and said, look, I've, I've, I want to do some gigs with this project, you know. And um, we'd put together a few things or the manager had put together a couple of things around it. So we did a radio session and a couple of gigs and and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it, it came together really quickly. I listened to the early, oh, there's, a, there's a recording of the very first gig and I listened to it quite recently, which I haven't done for years. And I thought, well, there was a definite uh, chemistry uh, between the, the four people because there was very little discussion about what needed to be done you know there was no steve didn't give us a lot of direction we listened to the music and then we just played it how we felt it and i I hopefully we brought it to life you know that was what we were aiming to do but we didn't sort of have any big discussion or uh we didn't overanalyze anything it was very spontaneous in a way and kind of like the jazz right (laughs) yeah in a sense yeah in a sense and i was keen to be involved because it was really interesting music you know i mean i was a bit fed up with playing some of the working gigs i was doing and i sort of hope we'd do a bit more but i didn't i saw it as an opportunity initially just to play some some more interesting music and i I remember we did that first little week's worth of gigs and radio session and then nothing happened for ages and ages and then we came back and there was, uh, I, I, in fact, I went to Australia for a while and I came back and then I remember there was a festival and something else in Holland. And then it sort of grew very slowly. And it was only when we got to actually recording, I think, what became Signify, uh, which would have been a, some time later when I thought oh, it was quite a serious thing. You know, it's just sounding really good and, and everyone's got their space in the, in the music. It was, it was quite exciting. And I, I started to take it a bit more uh a bit more seriously at that time you know thinking that perhaps it had more of a future and i could see as well that we everywhere we played we had interest you know even though it was in a small level every time we did a gig or something happened there were a lot of people quite excited about it so it was a very slow process but that really sort of i could feel the ball rolling very slowly if you like So, uh, do you have any interesting or fun stories, uh, that are suitable for a general audience from, uh, those years? <laughs> well, there's a couple of funny things, which I was thinking about the other day. So, uh, one was we did the track moon loop. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many, I'm sure most people know that one. I was thinking I about <laughs> this because, uh, I remember when we recorded it, it was in a studio in Henley, which is a beautiful, uh, town on the river Thames in England. And there's a studio owned by. Uh, a guy called Barry Morbalo, who used to be in Jethro Tull. Yeah, Jethro Tull, yeah. Yeah, so he had this really nice studio. I don't know if it's still there, but we, we recorded there, and it was a jam. Moonloop was a complete jam. Um, but we were recording downstairs in the room, and we played, and I remember feeling it, was, it felt really good, you know, when we, when we played it um, as we were doing it. I can remember thinking, mm, this is really interesting, and... Uh, we didn't really jam that much or we hadn't jammed that much. So it was, it was, it was a nice surprise as well, but I think everybody went out to, um, to record, uh, to, to have a cup of tea or just relax after we played. And, and there was a documentary on this TV in the, in the, in the room, one of the studio rooms. And it was a documentary about the moon landings, <laughs> Yeah, but we never called the title. 
the title of the, the the music just came out of thin air like weeks later so uh there was no connection we weren't thinking about the moon while we were, <laughs> we were yeah. playing it or we weren't you know kind of you know meditating on space while we were playing it but that was a definite <laughs> bit of synchronicity when the time because i never told anybody that i'd seen this documentary or a, a few minutes of this documentary while everyone was out you know mm-hmm. so that was really funny and then i remember this after the record came out somebody i think it was a guy in america sent his own copy of uh he saved one of the new york times or something with the the story of the moon landings on the day that it happened you know he'd saved mm-hmm. that magazine that paper and he sent it in to the record label <laughs> saying you yeah, know, yeah. i didn't know why i kept this until i heard your music <laughs> <laughs> so it's so. a fantastic way that something had been given a meaning that wasn't there you know in a way yeah. but it was quite cool you know at the same time yeah so uh so, yeah go ahead well, the other thing I was thinking about, which I, I didn't tell anyone else at the time as well, was we recorded In Absentia in New York mm-hmm. um, in Avatar Studios. And, and just before we started the recording process, see, I'm a big believer in synchronicity. When things like that happen, like the moon loop thing, when mm-hmm. you get these connections that come out of nowhere, um, usually there's a good result. It's, it means you're doing the right thing. You know, You can't always see it at the time, but it always seems to work out like that. So uh, we'd been to, um, we just got to New York and we just got to the studio and the, I think it was the week before we did the recording, I'd been on holiday to Egypt and I'm a big fan of the, you know, all the kind of ancient civilization stuff in Egypt. And uh, I went to see Nefertari's tomb and Nefertari was an Egyptian queen that was buried in this tomb and it's really, really well preserved. And it's actually very hard to get into because they limit the numbers of people that can go to about 100 people a, a day or something. It's really, really, they're trying to preserve it, you know, but you go inside and it's beautifully painted. So I'd had this amazing experience visiting Nefertari's tomb and you can't take photographs because of the flash. You know, you can go, you can buy pictures, but you can't take photographs or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'd been thinking about this place uh while we were on the way to the studio because i'd had this marvelous holiday you know and then we get we get to the studio the the uh receptionist on the front desk is a girl called nefertari wow <laughs> Which yeah. is a really, you know i mean that's really unusual it's a really unusual name and then yeah of course i was trying to impress her saying well i've just been to see your tomb <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know what i was on about of course <laughs> Might have been a little creeped out if you talked about it. <laughs> yeah, <tomb>. probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Before we move into other areas of Colin's career, let's do one more Porcupine Tree song from the album In Absentia. This is Strip the Soul. This is my own, we don't like no strangers 
Strip the Soul from Porcupine Tree's 2002 release, In Absentia. By the way, pre-orders for a new deluxe box set edition of that album are currently being taken at BurningShed.com. That's all one word, BurningShed.com. Stay with me through the break to hear more chat with Colin Edwin and more great music from his solo career, his collaboration with Lorenzo Feliciati, and his most recent band, ORK. Stay tuned. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Continuing on with my artist interview and feature program on Colin Edwin. I'm going to play something from Colin's first solo album called Third Vessel. This song is called The Box. The Merchant was a well-respected and much-liked member of his community who had married a beautiful woman much younger than himself. He returned home to his house earlier than expected after a business trip of several days when his most trusted servant called him to one side. Sir, said the servant, your wife, the lady of the house, our mistress, has been acting strangely. She's in her apartments with a large box, large enough to hold a man, the one which has been in your family for many years. The merchant thought for a moment, but it contains only some old paintings, he replied. The servant looked sideways and said seriously, I believe it may contain much more, sir. Your wife has refused to allow me, who has served you faithfully for all these years, to look inside. The merchant hurried at once to his wife's room, only to find her sitting disconsolately beside the large chest. the box, he asked her. 
because of the suspicions of a servant or because you do not trust me? She replied, Perhaps you can just open it without thinking of the undertones of the merchant. I do not think that is possible, she said. Is it locked? he asked. She nodded and held up the key. Dismiss the servant and I will give it to you. The servant was dismissed to his quarters and the merchant's wife handed him the key. With a troubled expression on her face, she left the room. The merchant sat down and thought for a long time. Eventually, four of the gardeners from his estate. After nightfall, the four men carried the box to a distant part of the grounds on the merchant's estate, and they buried the box, locked and unopened. was never spoken of again. The Box by Colin Edwin from his first solo album, Third Vessel, released in 2009. Now let's hear more of my chat with Colin. I mean, even from the start of this century, you also had a lot of side projects, including, let's see, XY's Heads, Metallic Taste of Blood, Twinscapes, ORK, or ORK. How do you guys like to say that? ORK or ORK? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's ORK. It's an yeah, acronym. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you've also worked with, uh, you want to tell us what it means? I don't know if I've ever heard what it means. Well, it means something different every day. So uh, we were calling <laughs> okay. it organized, organized random chaos with a K. Or, okay. Or the order of random nights. That was another one we had. Or <laughs> okay. It, it's quite hard to think of things for the K. That's what it is. It's yeah. quite difficult. So it changes all the time depending on how we feel. <laughs> okay. But uh, you've also worked with uh, guys such as Tim Bonus. I mean, you're a really busy guy, and you've you've been in a lot of diverse projects here. Yeah, and and the, the great thing about it is I'm not a careerist at all. I don't make any plans, and I don't hustle people. So everything has pretty much come very naturally, either to me because people have asked me, or because one thing has led to another. You know, in a really nice organic 
way. So uh, that's been really nice. I mean, the interesting thing about working with Tim Bones was that came out of, I mean, I can trace so many things sometimes from one moment. So um, working with Tim Bones stemmed from, I did a gig in Kiev in Ukraine with XY's heads. Uh, so myself and Jeff Lee, we done quite a lot of work together and we got offered this gig and Tim Bones was playing on the same bill. And I knew Tim's, we'd played together in, in, in England on the same bill and he had a bass player just literally play Pete Morgan played on about three songs in the set. So I said to Tim, look, I mean, we're going to Ukraine. I guess you don't really want to take Pete. Pete probably doesn't want to come to Kiev for a few days, you know, just to play three songs. So uh, I'll play the three songs where you have bass, you know, no problem. And, and uh, you know, you can do the rest of the gig just with yourself and Peter playing piano and the other two guys who were in the band. So Tim agreed to that. And I listened to the music that they wanted to play. And I, I, I usually write everything out just so that I can um, remember it. Or in case I, um, I usually find the act of notating, you know, it really helps me, my memory. Mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd written out the three songs but we'd never rehearsed or anything uh we get to this gig and the, the gig itself was great but the setup was a complete nightmare so <laughs> me and jeff play, we spent i mean this myself and a laptop and jeff lee playing flute through a stereo mixer which where he does loads of effects and things so it's about the simplest thing you can get hold of it's two stereo outs and, and a bass guitar. So it's, there's nothing <laughs> complicated yeah. in it. And and the sound guy in this club, in this theater in Kiev was just a, it completely threw him. He didn't have a clue what to do with the, with the, with this. And then it was <laughs> even worse for, for Tim, you know, for his setup. So they were hoping to rehearse. So we ended up, I ended up playing with Tim, uh, having known him for years and years. And the very first time I played live in front of an audience with him was completely unrehearsed. And I just read my notes, <laughs> I read my chart. Wow. But as a result of doing that one gig, I mean, the first thing was that Tim said to me sometime later, do you want to come and play with, uh, with the, you know, I'm putting a band together to play my stuff. Do you want to come and play with the band? So I, I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'll do that. And then I ended up playing on all these solo records as a result of that. And then I met Robert, who was his guitar player in Slow Electric, the project he had at the time. So Robert Jurgendale is a fantastic guitar player. I ended up getting on really well with him and we've done a record together. And the other thing that came out of that one gig was I met a fantastic uh, couple of folk singers from Ukraine, from Kiev, who, who come from there. And I've done this project, A Starter Edwin. And just recently, I, I released an album with John Durant and one of the singers in a Kovtan, who's a marvelous singer. And it's basically Slavic folk music uh, filtered hmm. through myself and John Durant. And that's, you know, all of those three things that came out of just basically saying yes to one little gig so yeah i'm a, I'm a big believer in being open about stuff you know yeah and the synchronicity and it seems to uh really work for you there yeah definitely yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah you've had all these other projects also i mean ranging from i mean twinscapes is pretty interesting because i have an i have a real interest in that whole co- sort of you know it's sort of electronic ambient kind of uh it's a little bit of a different thing there yeah, that, that worked out really well. I um, I was basically sitting at home one day and Giacomo Bruzzo, who's an Italian guy living in London, runs Rare Noise Records, which is a really interesting label. And I got to know him because the Metallic Taste of Blood records were on uh, Rare Noise. So I met him through Eraldo Bernocchi, the guitarist with uh, Metallic Taste of Blood. 
And he rang me up one day and said, look, I've got this bass player friend of mine, Lorenzo Feliciati. He's done a record on our label and he's got a day off in London and he's looking for something to do on his day off. He's doing a short tour of the UK and I want you to go and play with him. And if you get on, um, I'll organize a gig and you can do a gig together. So I was thinking, this is really strange. He's rung me up and I'm another bass player. So usually a bass player is looking for a singer or a drummer or a guitarist or a band to play with. You know, he's not looking for another bass player. So Giacomo uh, had this idea that he would put the two of us together and just see what happened. So uh, I didn't know Lorenzo. Um, We had a Skype conversation and he said, look, I'm coming to London. I've only got, you know, a little bit of time, but we can do this gig. And I think we can do this and we can do that. And if you've got any ideas, send them to me and we'll we'll have a rehearsal and we'll see see what happens, you know. So um, as it turned out, we we had one rehearsal, which we spent more time drinking coffee than playing and just (laughs) hanging out and chatting. And then we kind of had these ideas of what we can play. And he said, don't worry, you know, it's going to be fine. I've heard your records and, and... I know that you can do something. We, we'll do something together. It'd be fine. So we did this really spontaneous gig with about four or five basic ideas that we had each, you know, and it went really, really well. I mean, the result was, uh, was amazing. Really. It was really fresh. It was really enjoyable. Um, it's unusual to play with another bass player, but we managed to find without any kind of discussion, we managed to find a way of fitting in together and making ambient sounds on the bass uh, you know, I've got a way of making textural ambient sounds that's different to his. Uh, Lorenzo does a similar thing, but he uses a different kind of setup to do it. So we were able to fit these kind of scape ambient uh, textural kind of things together quite easily. And then, of course, we're both playing bass and I'm doing a little bit of rhythm programming. And we, we had a drummer for this first gig. So Giacomo came to the gig, of course, he put it on. And he said, this this is great, guys. And this is, you know what I was hoping you would do. He said, so if you really, if you agree, I'll, I'll finance a record, you know, if you want to do a record together. So of course we, we said, yeah, great. We're, <laughs> we're happy to do it, you know? So it was really spontaneous kind of thing. And we had a few guests involved and basically the whole thing was really positive in a, in an amazing way. So it was like a, a wish list, you know, I mean, I really wanted to work with Andy Pupato, the percussionist. I'd heard him on some fantastic records and it's really hard to find a percussionist that isn't like ethnic influenced, you know, so he's got his own thing going on. He's very, very Swiss and very precise and quite original, I think. So he, he came on board and did most of the, the rhythm parts apart from my programming. He did all the, um, pretty much all the, uh, all the rhythm stuff. Uh, and then we had Roberto Gualdi on drums who I didn't know, but he's a friend of Lorenzo's. He's a fantastic drummer. And uh, we had David Jackson from uh, Van de Graaff Generator. He did a track mm-hmm. and he did a marvellous job. I had no idea what he was going to do, but he, he came back with something really, really interesting. And then we had Nils Petter Molver, the trumpet player, who I'm a big fan of. We, we met him, I met him around the time we were making the record and I just asked him, I'd love you to play on the track, you know, and he agreed. So that was great. And then we were sitting around thinking, who can we get to mix the record? And of course, my top choice would have been Bill Laswell, because A, he's a bass player, and I love his productions. He's done so many records with with a fantastic sound. And uh, lo and behold, Bill Laswell mixed it. So, you know, it was like a wish list of, of people getting involved. And we had such a great response to the record, and we did some great gigs around it as well. So everything about that was 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 beautiful. It was perfect. It just went from an idea 
to fruition kind of seamlessly <laughs> with all these uh, with a, you know everyone being really positive about the whole thing and, and it went places i didn't expect it would go as well so yeah, i'm really proud of that one yeah very cool very cool let's check out a song from that album which colin was just discussing the album was called twinscapes and was credited to colin edwin and lorenzo feliciati from it this is in dreamland
Dreamland by Colin Edwin and Lorenzo Feliciati from their collaborative album called Twinscapes, released in 2014. Now let's check out some music from Colin's most current band, ORK. This one is from the first ORK record, Inflamed Rides, and it is called Bed of Stones.
again, that was Bed of Stones from the first ORK album, Inflamed Rides, released in 2016. After this short break, a bit more of my chat with Colin Edwin, a little more ORK, and some new music from Colin's latest solo album called Infinite Regress. Stay with me. The vinyl may be gone. The album art may be a JPEG. Radio lives on forever. As a parent, no two days are ever the same. At Care.com, you can find trusted and flexible sitters to help manage your family's ever-changing schedule. Care.com can even help you out with housekeepers, dog walkers, senior caregivers, and more. So you can find care for all you love. And 100% of caregivers who use Care.com have been background checked with CareCheck, a key first step in hiring confidently. To get the help you need to make it all work, sign up now and find a great sitter at Care.com. You know how great your house looks and smells when it's just been cleaned? So fresh. And somehow, a clean house makes your head feel fresher too. With a housekeeper from Care, you can reset your house and your head as often as you like for less than you think. Find a great housekeeper, set a schedule that works for you, and check cleaning off your to-do list so you can put your mind to other, more fun things. Get the housekeeping help you need at Care.com. This is Frank Wyatt from Happy the Man and Oblivion's Son, and you're listening to Prague Watch. Let's check out one more ORK song before we finish up the interview and listen to a few from Colin Edwin's latest solo album. So here is Signals Erased from the third and most recent studio album by ORK called Ramage Head.
Signals erased from the third ORK studio album, Ramage Head, released in 2019. Now for the rest of my chat with Colin Edwin. So um, your latest endeavor is uh, another solo album called Infinite Regress. That's right, can, yeah. Can you talk a little about making that album and what folks can expect to hear? Yeah, sure. So, uh, it, you know, one of the things about working with a lot of different people is that occasionally it's good for me to, to to do the opposite, you know, just to sort of see what I can come up with <laughs> without much outside interference, <laughs> if you like, <laughs> or interference is the wrong word, but without any, you know, it's quite difficult actually to, to, to work. I find it quite difficult, you know, working on my own because it's, it's harder to make decisions. Uh, on your own you you sort of having to take responsibility for every every artistic choice yeah so i basically made i'd more or less completed the the recording and, and I, all the pieces at this point were instrumental and um most of them uh, most of the time i'm in my studio quite late at night so they're very atmospheric they're made in a quiet space <laughs> you know, when everyone's asleep and, and it's usually just me focusing on my own. So it's got that kind of nocturnal uh, vibe to it. Um, but I've been working on these sort of hypnotic ideas and and it's a different area to where I'd been working in before. 
And I, I had a load of these instrumental tracks and I was starting to lose a bit of perspective with sort of small details, which is what happens when you're on your own and you start listening to the hi-hat sound and changing it for a different sound or <laughs> yeah. changing, you know, changing yeah. things that really don't matter. But it, you kind of, it becomes important and then you don't know whether it's any good or not, you know, or whether this bit is louder than that or, you know. I so know I what sent- you mean. I do. Yeah. I, I've, I've done. I've done a little recording on my own. I always get absorbed into that. That it's, yeah, it's just, really hard to. You're you know, like it's really majoring tough. in the minors, yeah. or yeah, you know. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's like a chef who's constantly, you know, putting things in the, in the stew, and then you can't taste anything, you know. Yeah. But I, I had all these pieces, you know, and I sent them. I sent a couple to a friend of mine, um, who's someone I trust, you know, whose ears I trust, basically, you know, and. Um, I said, you know, just have a listen and any comments you want to make about stuff, you know, just, just let me know. You know, I, I'm not precious about anything. If you think this is rubbish or you you think this, this bit doesn't work, just, just tell me. And he didn't answer me uh, in any normal kind of ma- fashion. He basically just sent me back <laughs> a load of vocals and guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was like, oh, wow, you know, I guess he liked it, you know. And he said, look, if you like, uh, I'm really, I really like, singing to these tracks it's um it really fits with with uh with what i'm working on at the moment you know vocally and and lyrics wise and stuff so um he said do you want me to do some more so i thought well i've got nothing to lose you know if i don't like it i can just say no and if i do like it which i did you know i'll encourage him to do some more so that is basically how i kicked off with with the with the record you know because all the pieces that I had all the instrumental pieces and the, the vocal parts that Rob sent me, they just fit perfectly. And I, I changed very little once he'd, uh, once he'd sent stuff to me, it was just a case of slotting it in and, and taking it from there, you know, and mixing, mixing his parts in with what I'd already done. So it was a, it's another synchronicity thing, really, mm-hmm. you know, we were, our heads were both in the same space at the same time. So yeah, that that set of material uh, has become Infinite Regress. So um, it's mainly me, but it's also Rob as well. Uh, I, I gave him very little direction. Uh, occasionally, we discussed lyrics or uh, we changed a few harmonies or whatever. But on the whole, it's it's just pretty much as it is, you know. All right. Um, so what what do you think's next? What you know, you have so many. <laughs> or I guess you're going to see where, where things take you, huh? It sounds from the gist of our conversation, like that's probably yeah. the answer, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I've got no idea what sort of reaction I'm going to get to the record because I guess it's different to what I've done before. Um, so far, every, everything's been positive. So of course that's, that's great. I'm hoping we can do some, some live shows. Um, but of course my main priority at the moment is ORK. So I have to, you know, everything I do, pretty much has to take a back seat to that uh for the immediate future um we're working on another record now and we're planning some gigs and stuff for this year so um i'm hoping to do some more uh i maybe you know do some live activity around infinite regress but i'll have to see logistically how it's never the music that's a problem you know with with doing live stuff it's always the logistical side of things sure so I pretty much made the record programming all the drums um, and, you know, obviously Rob singing and playing guitar and myself doing all the other instruments. So it might be fun just for a change to do it as a duo with a laptop, but it's going to be more interesting, let's face it, to do it with some live drums, you know. 
Mm. So uh, I'll see how it goes. I mean, if I get an offer to do something or if, if there's an opportunity, I'll, I'll certainly explore that and I'd love to make it happen. It's always important to me to try and do stuff live, I think. Because it's actually, at the end of the day, playing it live is the best way to develop the music anyway. Um, that's certainly been the case with everything else I've done. As soon as you start playing it live, it, it takes on a life, no pun intended, but yeah. it takes on, a, takes on a life of its own and you, you start seeing different aspects of the music and you can really kind of focus it a bit better. Mm-hmm. So uh, I understand you're also uh, passionate about photography. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, actually, uh, I'm a big fan of using the Lomo cameras, the very cheap um, kind of plastic cameras where you can get these weird analog results uh, that are a little bit unplanned. Um, And you take a whole roll of film and you'll find uh, there's about five that are amazing and uh, (laughs) the rest are just rubbish. But it's usually it's usually worth it. I mean, I've had some fantastic results with uh, with the you know, it takes a bit of practice as well, but uh, it was a perfect hobby, Um, especially if I go, you know, when I'm traveling, I go somewhere I've never been before and I take like a fisheye camera um, and I'll just go and snap, snap loads of photographs and then I forget what's on there. You know, it's just the other thing you miss with digital photography is you you uh you see it and then you kind of improve on it and you take it again but when it when it's a roll of film you, you you've got you know that one chance so you're you're where you are you take the picture and it is what it is and if it's good it's great and if it doesn't work then it, that's fine you have to accept it <laughs> but i love that moment of of uh getting your film back from the developers and not remembering what was on there you know <laughs> and you're like oh yeah that was great i remember that and that kind of that's yeah. really exciting and that's all lost that, that whole feeling's just gone now you know because you see everything the moment you do it now <laughs> yeah and then just the sheer volume my, my wife will shoot i think we went we went to visit my son down in texas and we went to like carl's bad caverns and she, she came back with like a thousand pictures you know <laughs> yeah how, how do yeah, you even you... wade through that and figure out what's right good and you know and it's like well this one's pretty good uh, you know. i mean just <laughs> just the time and effort to look through all of them yeah know? it's daunting and then you don't look yeah. at them at all yeah yeah, yeah. it's one of yeah, the, I one mean, of that's the problems exactly. yeah <laughs> yeah i'm with you there <laughs> so i hope you enjoyed listening in on my conversation with colin edwin Stay tuned, though, as I have a couple of tracks from his brand new album, Infinite Regress, coming up. But first, big thanks to Colin for speaking with me, and I wish him great success with the new album and all of his many endeavors. As promised, here's a couple of tracks from the new album. First up will be Mirror City, which will be immediately followed by Ignorant. <laughs>
Once again, that was Mirror City and Ignorant, both from the great new album by Colin Edwin, which once again is called Infinite Regress. If you are interested, I will have a link you can follow to find more about that album and many of Colin's other works when I post this show to my website, progwatch.com. That's all one word, P-R-O-G-W-A-T-C-H dot com. At progwatch.com, you can also find my email and social media links a link to my Patreon page, which I mentioned at the beginning of the program, if you would like to possibly support the show. And of course, every episode I've ever done is at progwatch.com, along with artist links to accompany all of those 300-plus episodes. If looking through 300-plus episodes seems a little daunting, remember that you can search the website from the top of the page. Just look for the little magnifying glass. So thanks for coming along for the ride once again. Until next time, be well and prog on, my brothers and sisters.
Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk? Well, you left me anyhow and then the days got worse and worse and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And they're coming to take me away, haha, they're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats and they're coming to take me away, haha. You thought it was a joke and so you laughed You laughed when I had said that losing you would make me flip my lid Right? You know you laughed, I heard you laugh You laughed, you laughed and laughed and then you left But now you know I'm utterly mad And they're coming to take me away, haha They're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha To the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers Who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes And they're coming to take me away, I cooked your food, I cleaned your house, and this is how you pay me back for all my kind, unselfish, loving deeds. Ha! Huh? Well, you just wait, they'll find you yet, and when they do, they'll put you in the ASPCA, you mangy mutt. And they're coming to take me away, haha, they're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away, haha, to the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes, and they're coming to As a parent, no two days are ever the same. At Care.com, you can find trusted and flexible sitters to help manage your family's ever-changing schedule. Care.com can even help you out with housekeepers, dog walkers, senior caregivers, and more. So you can find care for all you love. And 100% of caregivers who use Care.com have been background checked with CareCheck, a key first step in hiring confidently. To get the help you need to make it all work, sign up now and find a great sitter at Care.com.